Welcome to the Alternative Data Podcast. Welcome to the Alternative Data Podcast, powered by Exabel. I'm Mark Fleming-Williams. In this episode, I speak to Francesco Filia of Fascinata Capital, a fund that has been buying loans from the market for over a decade. Over that time, Fascinata has developed a substantial amount of alternative data around borrowers, creating an ever more advanced selection process for future purchases. In other news, an apology. Last week, speaking to Jeremy Baxt, I mistakenly suggested Bloomberg had bought alternative data provider second measure for $200 million. The true figure is undisclosed, but closer to $100 million. Finally, a date for the diary. I am speaking at a London event on Tuesday, the 26th of October with the theme, Is Alternative Data Still Alternative? Links in the info section. Uh, absolutely, and thank you again for the invite. Uh, I started my career in uh, JP Morgan in London as, a, as an analyst uh, in uh, fixed income securities. I moved on to Mary Lynch uh, in year 2000, where I spent another 11 years in uh, derivatives and, uh, uh, and uh, uh, structuring. Um, and then I set up Fasanara in 2011, together with a colleague of mine from uh, Bank of America, Mary Lynch. Why the name? Why the name Fasanara? Fasanara mm-hmm. means a place where you go to hunt the pheasants. It's a, it's a dialect word from, word from my hometown, uh, Ferrara, in Italy. So it's yeah. a very provincial name, if you want, a very low profile. Uh, and it is the name that, uh, uh, you know, myself and the colleague that we launched Fasanara uh, together with uh, utilized when referring to this uh, project of ours of uh, setting up a new firm. And since then, we decided to utilize it. You know, there are a lot of hedge funds with, with, with very aggressive names, Cerberus, yeah. Centaur, uh, Centaurus, or Apollo. And we wanted to give it a little bit of a lower profile. <laughs> yeah. Is, is your co-founder from uh, Ferrara as well? No, he's from Imola, which is not very far from. It's an hour far from Ferrara. Imola, the famous racetrack. Famous Ferrari. for Ferrari, correct. But, um, so Fasnara Capital, so it's a, it's, a, it's a place where somebody can go and um, come back with a full pot. Uh, a, a, it's a, someone can go and, and, and find something to, to make them, to feed their family. Um, so, um, so you started Fasnara Capital in, in November 2011, um, and it is various things um and well why don't you give us broad strokes as to as to what fasnara capital is from the kind of the 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 top down view absolutely absolutely actually it was april 2011 and i stress that just because it's 10 years we we are 10 years old we wouldn't be if it was november so like (laughs) and uh, uh, it's an hedge fund technology enabled fasnara capital today um, we've been in business 10 years. We manage around 2.5 billion in assets under management. Uh, and we have uh, specialized ourselves over the years uh, in, uh, in data-driven asset allocation um, and the technology uh, origination of uh, corporate receivables and uh, consumer loans. Um, so we, you can look at ourselves as a little bit as a blend between uh, an asset management firm and a technology platform. Uh, and what we do with the technology, we uh, combine these uh, portfolios, uh, highly granular, highly diversified the portfolios of uh, loans and receivables. Um, uh, we manage these portfolios and we offer these portfolios to large institutions across Europe and, and, and beyond uh, um, uh, for them to invest into. And these portfolios uh, really look like uh, fixed income alternatives. Uh, from their standpoint, because they resemble a bond with a very stable cash flow generation months into months. 
we need to i'm sorry um francesco i'm gonna have to take it take this slowly <laughs> to, to to keep making sure that um i've i've got my head around it let alone the, let alone the listener um so you are so you're a hedge fund um and when you think of hedge funds then usually you're thinking of somebody of a of a company which is entering the market and buying and following a specific strategy to buy probably some kind of security um or or selection of securities or whatever it is generally um buying publicly available assets but what you're talking about then is is um offering loans now a bond is a loan of, of of a sort um when you're talking about offering loans are you talking about buying bonds or are you talking about creating a your own individual relationship with somebody who wants to borrow money basically our role is to utilize technology to originate loans from uh, uh, corporations across the globe and we do that uh, uh, um, uh, through a network of uh, originators all across the globe we currently have more than 80 of them and they are set up in uh, 25 different countries and what these originators do utilizing their technology is uh, to speak with the corporations and consumers so that so they can originate loans these loans are then offered to fazanara which is the asset manager. Fazanara has got his own technology that can screen through these loans, give a rating to these loans and decide which ones to buy and at what price. So okay. this is our business model. So effectively, it's not the typical hedge fund that goes out in the, in the stock market or in the bond market and buys the securities, but it's more of a technology platform that originates loans um, um, by having connections to the real economy talking directly with consumers and, and corporations uh, and then uh, has the ability to rate these loans and combine them into portfolios for institutional investors. Got it. So a so these originators, are they um, directly employed? Are they are they Fasnara employees or are they originating these loans and also offering them to a, to a whole load of other um, potential uh, potential lenders as well? And, and so you are kind of competing um, for, 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 for these um, for granting these loans it's a blend of different things like there is some that they work also with external parties and at that point we compete for for bidding on individual loans and there are others which are you know more fully fledged incorporated into the fasanara machine only okay let's briefly and then and then move on quickly from it let's briefly touch the other side of fasanara which is that you are also a a crypto fund how, how does that fit in and, and how much of the business is that? We are also a crypto arbitrage fund. Uh, we, uh, we, have a, um, um, you know, we have a fund which has been outstanding for two, three years now that is performing very well and is, is moving uh, volumes of three to five billion a month. So it's actually quite a, a good and a, a notable player in the, in the landscape. Our attention for crypto is dedicated to market neutral transactions, which means that we don't take directional bets up and down on whether on where, where bitcoin or ether can go but we rather take arbitrage positions market neutral long and short so that so we don't care about the direction of travel for bitcoin but more about us being able to extrapolate these uh, uh, these profit opportunities now the reason why there is this combination between what i discussed before which is more fintech and technology dedicated to loans and receivables and crypto is because they both belong to what we call the digital future. So mm -hmm. our vision for the future is a, one of a digital future. And the digital future, the way we see it, is a combination between fintech 
on one side and crypto and decentralized finance on the other. And, uh, and our vision for asset management is one where asset managers should be more data driven, should be more technology enabled and should be able to ride this trend of the digital transformation to the fullest extent possible. Let's maybe come back to that. Um, that sounds like a, like a very interesting vision of the future. But let's, um, let's focus then on the, the, the way Fasnara started, which, is, um, which, which was this, this, uh, this loan-focused um, uh, part of the business. So we have, a, we have 80 originators, originators out there who are um, generating loans by companies or consumers coming and saying they need money. They come to the originators. The originator then then waves it in front of you and says, "Would you like to? Would you like to take on this loan? Um, is there anything uh, in terms of your market? Is there anything which defines it in terms of geography or size of loan? Is there is there any way we can we can define it, or is it literally all sorts? It's all sorts. Uh, I mean, at this moment, the bulk is Europe. So, like 70 percent is uh, European markets. Uh, with a prevalence for Nordics and uh, Benelux, uh, Germany, UK and Ireland. Uh, the remainder 20% is uh, uh, US and uh, 10% is uh, Asia, more or less. This is at the moment our allocation. Fantastic. Okay. And so then here comes the alternative data. You are using various data techniques to decide which loans to take on. Maybe, maybe, uh, so maybe you can talk a little around that. So yes, absolutely. So the, the whole point of this uh, uh, technology utilized for origination, originating loans and receivables from the real economy is uh, to be able to do a better job than the traditional banking channel uh, does. Mm -hmm. The traditional banking channel, when uh, giving a loans or a receivables out, basically what they do, they take a very traditional approach. They look at the financial statement, whether at, uh, you know, when it when it comes to decide whether or not they want to have a certain credit limit to a corporate or even a consumer, um, the new technologies allow for doing a better job than that, uh, which means utilize not only the financial statements of the companies and the ratings of the consumers. For the consumers, it would be either the FICO scores in the US or Experian in Europe, but they can do a lot more and a lot of a better job by utilizing a, a lot more uh, types of data including uh, alternative data uh, and uh, unstructured data, non-traditional data, et cetera, et cetera. So for example, uh, one of the type of loans that we do is uh, a receivable. Uh, a receivable is uh, basically originated from a, a seller uh, of the receivables to a buyer of the receivables. And, and Fasanara steps in and buys it from the hands of the seller of the receivables. The, um, you know, just How, to... what, is, what, what is that word? Receivables? Yes, receivables. So receivables are invoice, right? So let me just clarify what I mean by that. There is a, a small company that has been selling some goods to a large companies like Nestlé. Mm. Um, um, and for example, the small company has sold some printers to Nestlé. Mm. Uh, and they sold like 50 printers in the month of June of year 2011. Uh, now, when it comes to that, we have the ability to go and speak with the small uh, supplier of Nestlé analyze the invoice that they, have, uh, that they claim they have to Nestlé, verify, confirm that the invoice is indeed a truthful uh, you know, mm -hmm. legal instrument that uh, sees Nestlé as uh, having an obligation to pay it back. And we can step in and buy outright in a prosoluto uh, true sale uh, transaction, debt receivables from the small supplier to Nestlé mm -hmm. and incorporate it into the Fasanara funds. Now, once we do that, the risk 
is uh, Nestlé, because Nestlé has got to pay us back uh, after a certain amount of uh, days or months uh, yeah. into our account. So by all, um, you know, um, for, for all intents and purposes, our counterparty credit risk is Nestlé. However, what we have done is not uh, give a loan to Nestlé, but rather we have bought an invoice from a small seller uh, of this, uh, uh, from a, a small supplier of Nestlé. Once you do that, you have a lot more data than just your obligor risk. Because if it is just about the obligor risk, then all of what you have is the financial statement of Nestlé. And we all know the financial statement of Nestlé to be beautiful, but in some cases it's not as big and not as clear what the, mm. the numbers are in the financial statements. Whereas in this case, we have a lot more data that we can play with. And that's when it becomes really relevant for data analysis, for machine learning as well. Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. So, so the idea being that a small com- from from the small company's perspective, they have sold this thing to Nestle, and Nestle is a big, slow-moving Goliath organization, and so perhaps it's going to take them three to six months to get around to paying the paying the invoice. And if you're a small company, then you need cash quickly in order to then reinvest it into something else, pay your staff, whatever. You don't have a huge balance sheet necessarily, so they are itching to get this to get this money quickly. Um, you are, are you, are you paying, um, are you paying, uh, less than the invoice is worth because you're taking on the risk of the, of the time as well? Are you, are you, because you're, you're taking the risk that Nestle may go out of business or that six months, the money could be, um, you know, you're, 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 there's the cost in, in not having that money for six months. So are you paying less? So you're making a small profit, but also the interesting part is that you are, benefiting hugely from the data that you're gaining from 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 buying this buying this loan absolutely that's exactly correct so first of all we charge a small fee for giving the money immediately to the supplier of nestle for the supplier of nestle this is gold right because uh, uh, they need the, the working capital financing soon in order to be able to restock and sell more into nestle eventually uh, banks uh, used to do this business uh, 100%, but now banks are withdrawing and they are concentrating on mainstream clients, so on the Nestle of this world, and they're leaving behind all of these small suppliers. So there is a, a big market gap. Now, when it comes to data, this is really the ideal playgra- playground for data because uh, one thing is to have one loan to Nestle, and one thing is to have uh, 15 voices discounted every other month uh, on a certain good or service being sold in a certain average size. Uh, and uh, and you can do all sort of data acquisition, data enrichment. You can do all sort of machine learning, trying to learn from your past and from the patterns of behaviors of your borrowers over 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 a number of years. And at that point, one data point has transformed into eight hundred or more than a thousand. So to get this to get this data, sorry. So um, to get this data, and to, so what you're trying to do is buy enough of these invoices to understand how Nestle functions. Is that is that right? Well, we buy enough of these invoices to understand better and better uh, what are the patterns of behaviors of the borrowers, which are the sellers of those invoices, mm-hmm. and to learn from the past, meaning to learn whether or not we should increase the limits to some of these borrowers and not others, mm-hmm. and eventually also to be able to create a very granular, highly diversified portfolio. Because uh, like, uh, uh, like um, if you go straight to Nestlé and you do loans just to Nestlé, you will never be able to have as much diversity in the portfolio as we can achieve uh, when we speak through technology directly with the sellers of these invoices. When you're saying the sellers of the invoices, you're talking about that small company which has been supplying to, to, to Nestlé. So when you're interested in building a picture of what this company is like, 
it's actually the people you're buying the invoices off uh, that you're interested in rather than the Nestle who, who, who is going to pay you the money in the, in the end. Both, both, because you know, like Nestle, obviously, is important because it's ultimately our counterparty credit risk. The money gets paid back to Fasanara by Nestle after 90 days or, or so, right? So that is ultimately our counterparty credit risk. However, there are a lot of other type of risks which are not uh, strictly probability of default of the obligor. For example, there is the dilution risk or the fraud risk. The dilution risk means that the borrower or the seller of that invoice, the small supplier of Nestlé, has uh, not done as great as a job as it promised to Nestlé. And after that, there is the risk of a dilution. Fraud means that the supplier of Nestlé has uh, uh, falsified, has fabricated the invoice itself. Right? So those two risks are in addition to the probability of default of the obligor, and they need to be tackled in a statistical manner utilizing data analyzing data and doing machine learning. And that's when the alternative data is really useful in a, trying to assess a probability for fraud, a probability for dilution, a probability for these delays, and so on and so forth. Are you building a map of the entire market by buying all these invoices? Uh, have you got a, every time you buy this invoice, then you are basically, you're getting a, okay, so this small company so, uh, sold me this, um, they didn't fraud, they didn't defraud me, they didn't, you know, um, and so that's an extra kind of, you know, Uber rating upwards for them. Um, and Nestle paid me after 90 days, that's an extra, or, or Nestle took, we should, may I just say, you know, we're using the word Nestle a lot. It, we, it is just an example. We're not. And let's let's say big company, just in case. But let's say big company um, didn't pay after 90 days, took 95 days. That's an Uber rating down. Um, and so then you're starting to build a picture of who's reliable and who's not, which if you build this full picture of the market, then you are you've got a you've got an advantage on the market when it comes to offering new loans. Uh, yes, it, that is an example, for example, to learn from delays. But there is a lot more that you can do. The data points are really multiplying themselves and they really go into the uh, thousands and thousands. Like, for example, at this moment, we are just about to cross a 20 billion uh, euros worth of volumes just on invoices cumulatively over the last seven years. And as, uh, um, um, as soon as you cross those uh, critical thresholds, you start to have uh, so much critical mass and, you know, and, and the wealth of data that you can learn a lot more from it. For example, you can learn that there is a certain borrower, which is actually not a great borrower, that uh, uh, that has been paying late, that has been creating dilution risk, that is uh, obviously if they have created a fraud, uh, is definitely not a good one and should be dropped off the list very soon. Mm. So the, 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 uh, the wealth of data is uh, really to be utilized and monetized in multiple ways. Ultimately, it boils down to performance for the funds and to minimization of the default risk within the fund. But um, it's, really, it's really very useful. And uh, all of these wells of data was not utilized and monetized by the banks that would do this work uh, normally in the market. The banks, uh, if, you, if you put yourself in the, in the shoes of a bank, which is uh, really the lion's share still in the market for when it comes to invoice discounting, financing, and receivables and loans, uh, banks would uh, simply look, uh, or most of the time, banks would look at the counterparty credit risk, at the financials of the debtor, and they would stop there. Now, when your counterparty is Nestlé, it's actually easy. But when your counterparty is smaller than Nestlé, uh, you need to rely on financials which are typically outdated and also sometimes not totally reliable. Uh, the financials that you're looking at, they could be two years old. So you're giving some money in a loan 
or in a financing of a receivables to a company that uh, you're looking at the finance, uh, uh, financials of, and those financials are two years old. So you can imagine all the uh, shortcomings with that. Now, if you look at it from the data standpoint, then uh, financials are one piece of the puzzle, but you have so many other pieces. You can get your hands on uh, credit bureaus, business information agencies, even you know like a social data that you can retrieve. You can get your hands on open banking from which you can uh, get a lot more data points for those uh, borrowers and those debtors as well at the same time. And then you can uh, get data from your own database by applying uh, nonlinear dynamics and uh, by applying uh, machine learning and neural networks, uh, which is what we do uh, in our data team. And uh, so at that point, your decision of investing, your decision of lending is much more informed and you have a lot more early warning signal because the other thing is that uh, once you give uh, in the traditional bank in the traditional market, a loan to Nestlé, typically that loan is loan dated, it's five years or three years, and you're going to know about problems only when, only upon repayment, if there is a missed repayment. Mm. In the case uh, of our asset class, which is a short dated receivables and loans, we are going to get a new market data and new data points every other month or two because of the short duration of the asset class. So this also is a, is a feature that balloons the number of data from which you can learn from for future allocation decisions and lending decisions. Mm. Why aren't banks doing this? You've been doing this for 10 years. Um, are they, have they caught up? Are they, are they, have they joined the game or are they still, um, are they still not? Still not. I mean, the banks have got a very hard time at doing the IT upgrade. Mm. Uh, banks have got a very strong and uh, entrenched uh, legacy infrastructure when it comes to technology. And they're used to do things uh, in a certain way. And they are kind of victim of their own success and profitability in a way. So they have created this big network of subsidiaries and these big overheads and big uh, uh, headcounts. And it's very difficult to introduce a new technology that, uh, uh, that uh, in order to be implemented, uh, requires a big uh, haircut to the legacy infrastructure. So banks have typically been unable to, uh, to compete in the fintech race at the right level. Now, there are exceptions, of course. I mean, there are banks which are doing a great, uh, um, uh, great leaps forwards, like, uh, let me mention JP Morgan, Goldman Sachs, Santander, Standard Chartered. Those are banks which are trying hard to compete against the fintech uh, like ours. Uh, if you read the, the, the latest uh, um, um, shareholders uh, letter of Jimmy Diamond, he is talking uh, extensively about the threat posed by fintech uh, challenger firms. Mm-hmm and non-bank lenders, um, uh, because definitely non-bank lenders are eating uh, shares, uh, market share uh, as we go by, uh, primarily for the inability of uh, incumbents to compete at the right level when it comes to data utilization, when it comes to infrastructure, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, When it comes to uh, consumers and borrowers, uh, the user experience that uh, fintech and non-bank lenders are able to provide them with is so superior to the one that they have when they go to bank banks that uh, uh, that this becomes then a self-fulfilling prophecy. Then the, 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 the rate of penetration of fintech within the real economy at the expenses of the traditional banks increases over time and that it has been doing so now for a good 10 years in Europe. You've been doing this for 10 years. Um, has the, how's the technology changed over that time? The business model that you just described to me, has that, would that be familiar to a Francesco Filia in, in June 2011? Or have things changed a lot? And has the technology driven those changes? 
it has changed a lot there is not one year which is uh, similar to the previous one i think uh, things are changing really fast and that uh, at an accelerating speed um one thing that changes is the availability of data right all of what you can do on the data analysis data management and the machine learning depends critically on the amount of data that you can uh, use and the amount of data is cumulative and uh, increases over time at an exponential speed as i was saying before we are just about to cross 20 billion cumulative volumes when it comes to loan, loans. And for those uh, cumulative volumes, which are uh, dollar volumes, uh, we have uh, millions of data points already stored, processed, uh, and, uh, uh, and at our disposal. Uh, in addition to that, you have the other side of technology, which is non-data, which is just about infrastructure, piping, uh, about uh, creating the rails for these borrowers to be able to sell you their receivables, the API connections, and all the technology infrastructure, really, which is not really data, but it is also very relevant in order to be able to utilize the data then in in in, in multiple ways. So uh, the, the the business has been, has been growing uh, over the years at an exponential speed, and uh, and mind you, here we are not talking about. Uh, 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 we mentioned crypto before. Crypto market is still uh, small in the big scheme of things, but when mm -hmm. it comes to loans and receivables. Uh, corporate loans, but also consumer loans. You're talking about uh, multi-trillion uh, um, uh, addressable market. So you're talking about the real economy, uh, and that is a uh, and that is a sector which is served, which is really un underbanked these days because of the limitations with banks that we just uh, described. Mm. Um, and and therefore, like your addressable market is really huge, and it, it makes it actually comes not at, at a surprise that it, it can grow at an exponential speed that, at, as it has been going in recent years. I'm interested in where Fasanara fits into the to the overall landscape in term. Well, I'm thinking particularly of the kind of the alternative data landscape because a lot of so a lot of the things that you're talking about. So you're talking about going and finding um, things like credit scores, etc., which is you know thinking outside the box types of um, of of publicly available scores that you can you can um, maybe pay a fee for or or, or, or access freely. Um, so you are consuming data from the outside. Your secret source to me seems more like um, the 10 years, uh, the fact, well, A, the, the clever things you're doing with the data you have, but also the fact that you've got 10 years track record of all the data you've gathered from all these 10 years of transactions with all these, with all these companies, et cetera. Um, is there much interaction in terms of do you go out and buy other alternative data sets which are you know perhaps more expensive than a nominal fee in order to uh in order to inform your analysis further and also do you sell data you've got a you've got a huge data set do you do you sell it at all to, to any outside players yeah that's that's a longer question but let me Sorry. try to answer briefly so uh, um, uh, definitely our edge is technology technology is a combination of two things data and infrastructure so I don't know which one is more relevant at this point in time, if I have to be honest with you. I think they go hand in hand because if you have a lot of data, but you don't have the infrastructure to monetize it when it comes to hand real money to a real economy, then you can do very little with the data itself. Right. And uh, so like the, the two things are they represent our edge, definitely. Um, and uh, uh, it has been growing over the years. At this moment, we sit on a very big wealth of data and we can utilize these uh, to differentiate ourselves and do a better job at uh, allocating money. The performance has been coming in very smoothly for seven years in a row. Uh, and so at this moment, everything works perfectly from that standpoint. 
Um, when it comes on how to utilize the data and what to do with the data, whether or not we want to sell it to third party, at this moment it's all utilized internally for internal purposes to create a better performance for the funds. However, however, in the future, we are also thinking about other ways of monetizing them. Uh, we are always and continuously on the lookout for new data sets of the untraditional type and conventional data. Uh, open banking is one uh, such example, but uh, we have a lot more uh, going on uh, in our data team. Uh, I would say that uh, it's not very expensive. These days, if I can make a comment, the data is inexpensive. I mean, there are multiple ways of sourcing uh, data, um, you know, and uh, like uh, multiple counterparties these days that are active in uh, in uh, sourcing out the data for you. I mean, when it comes to open banking, you know about uh, uh, True Layer, Credit Kudos, Plaid. Uh, there are companies everywhere nowadays, and I, I cannot say that it's particularly expensive to get uh, a lot of data from that end. And um, and in addition to that, we have all the, our originators, which are technology companies themselves, that they also do this job at the artificial intelligence level, and therefore they themselves source out uh, tradi untraditional data, and we can uh, suck up that data from them th through our APIs and through our technology infrastructure. So at that point, at that point, you have multiple access point for data, uh, you know, uh, pulled up at the Fasanara level. And, uh, um, and then there is no limit on what you can do with such a data. I'll give you one example. One of the ways in which we are trying to monetize our database is uh, by giving uh, ESG ratings. ESG stands for Environmental, Social and Governance. There is a big trend uh, from the instit institutionalized asset management world to include those as criteria when it comes to allocating and investing money. Uh, in order to have an impact on the world and not just be passively uh, doing things. Uh, when it comes to ESG ratings, there is a way, and uh, there are uh, very reputable counterparties doing uh, ratings for uh, public listed companies, because most of that ESG rating uh, um, capabilities comes from news runs and from uh, uh, notifications of uh, behavior from those large listed companies. But there is very little happening at the level of private unlisted companies. What Fasanara is doing is uh, producing ESG for private unlisted companies which they need to be part of our ecosystems, obviously. They need to have borrowing relationship with us, obviously, because otherwise we would have no way to acquire historical data on them and transactional data. But once they do, uh, we are able to produce an ESG rating that, that tells us how good they are doing a job on E, S, or G, and also specific SDG goals below it. So that is quite an ambitious target. We have already mapped more than 20,000 companies at that. We are able to produce this ESG data and monitor it over time in live dashboards, see how well they're doing vis-a-vis uh, -vis their historical pattern uh, over time. And uh, this is something that is quite, uh, quite uh, uh, front-running, if you want, in terms of uh, innovation. Just to challenge you on one thing you said, which is that data is inexpensive. I would just... The, I think there are data sets and there are data sets. And it's it seems to me that your focus is very much on the kind of historical reputation aspect of paying back a loan in terms of, you know, have they done it uh, uh, the last hundred times and they're probably going to do it the next the next time. But there are other ways of approaching this um, approaching this subject, such as you could be trying to get ahead of, um, you know, if what you're dealing with is a small retailer of some sort then you could there are various alternative data sets that you could buy which aren't necessarily cheap which um could tell you what footfall was like in that retailer over the over over the current period and that kind of thing could affect their ability to pay back a loan 
you know, three months from now. Um, so I wonder, I wonder if there are other expensive ways to inform this, inform this. And I just wonder if um, that is an area where uh, there is there just, I'm just thinking of the competition, you know, and I'm just thinking yep, if, yep. if there is the potential for somebody to use those, use those other alternative data sets, which, as I say, can be expensive, presumably if you, you know, if you own them or you, you kind of generate them but in the same way that you're generating your own data. I'm just, I'm just exploring that possibility because there's a lot, yeah. a lot that can go into whether, a, whether a company repays yeah. the loan or not. No, look, Mark, is is absolutely a good point. I think expensiveness is a relative concept, right? It's relative to time, relative to who is spending the money, and relative also to the benefit that you can get from it. So relative to time, I would say that uh, it's way less expensive than 10 years ago, for example. You know, the old market of fintech was not there 10 years ago in Europe, right? Yeah. It has really emerged 10 years uh, or even seven years pa- uh, uh, past. So like uh, uh, if I look at the amount of data that we can get our hands today and I compare it with 10 years ago, uh, obviously like uh, we are in a paradise. If I compare it to last year, it's a lot more. Mm. Actually, a lot of the data that is produced this year is going to be, uh, actually, I think that uh, 90% of the data that uh, we are going to have in two years is going to be produced in the next two years. Um, so the, 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 the amount of accumulation of data over time is, is a pattern that uh, we can all benefit from uh, if we have the right infrastructure to suck up that data. Then the point number two is uh, relative to the benefit that you get from that data. So there mm-hmm. is a point where for you to get the additional marginal data set uh, does not really move the needle. And therefore, like you can avoid uh, is almost like uh, uh, extracting uh, oil offshore, right? There is a point of no return, a point where it, it, it does not make an economical um, uh, advancement for your portfolio. So when it comes to portfolios, for example, uh, what you should see as the benefit is the minimization of the default rate, which uh, then can influence the performance rate of the fund. If the default rate to start with is low, then there is only so much benefit that you can extrapolate from uh, reducing it through mm. new data acquisition. So if the data that we are able to acquire at cheap level, cheap relative to our spending power, is enough to minimize the default rate to a point where the performance is great and healthy and robust and the default rate itself is small, then we can call it inexpensive. That, that would be my definition of it, right? So obviously there is always like a geolocation analysis, like even satellite images. There is always a, the next level of that acquisition, but you wonder if it's able, able to move the needle in a material way for your own endeavor. You've got me. I'm convinced, Francesco. You're the you're the future of of, of loan origination and um and uh, and and loan uh, uh loan offering. So um, yep, I'm on board. Where do I sign? <laughs> um, I'd like to see. So that's that's the that's the vision for for that side of Fasnar. I'd like to go back to the overall vision. So you're how does everything you just um how do you see crypto and the and the business side that we just discussed um at length how do you see them coming together to form one unified whole in the future look i don't know uh, what the future will really take us into but what i know is that it's got to do with digital a lot more than today uh, i think that the digital adoption is a entrenched trend i don't think i'm discovering anything new here or not saying anything revolutionary uh, we all know that uh, the direction of travel is that uh, digital to me is declined into these two big buckets fintech and uh, crypto and speci- especially defi decentralized finance so fintech and defi and so we try to be exposed to the two of them 
in order to grab the future as much as we can and uh, to be innovative and uh, really disruptive and uh, produce some real value. I think that a lot that goes on today in the real economy when it comes to the banking channel, but also when it comes to the traditional asset management world, is in need of a very dramatic and profound overall. And it's really late at uh, uh, innovating itself. Uh, a lot of it is victim of its own success. It's very profitable and there is not enough demand for change. And so it stays stuck and it allows people like ourselves and our technologies to advance and to have less competition in a way as they advance. Uh, so I think that between crypto, DeFi and FinTech, there are a lot of interconnections. There is a lot of a digitization working, a digi dig digitization going through in FinTech when it comes to onboarding KYC of borrowers, for example, when it comes to the digitization of the invoice as an electric instrument, for example. And also, ultimately, it becomes there, there are a lot of efforts going on when it comes to tokenization of these instruments. And tokenization obviously speaks the world uh, of uh, crypto, cryptography. Mm -hmm. So uh, then crypto comes into place. And the, the way I look at crypto and DeFi in particular is uh, another, an additional layer of complexity on the fintech, which is already an additional layer of complexity on the traditional infrastructure rail. So you look at fintech and it's the first derivative of the legacy infrastructure. You look at crypto and DeFi is the second or third derivative of the legacy uh, you know, uh, financial infrastructure. Obviously, fintech utilizes fiat currency, crypto and DeFi, they utilize uh, uh, cryptocurrencies, but it's just in the same direction of travel, if you see what I mean. Uh, now, for us, um, there are multiple opportunities. For example, there can be uh, one of our fintech originator of platforms that uh, is in need of uh, allowing consumers to get paid out in Bitcoin instead of just US dollars. Or there could be um, um, just any other type of, uh, uh, you know, like a decentralization of their business, which starts as a CFI, centralized finance, but can, uh, you know, transform and uh, mutate into a decentralized approach that is also quite relevant. If you think about it, FinTech and DeFi, they responded to the same basic uh, first principle, which is uh, decentralization and disintermediation. You know, they all look at a bankless society. They all want to get rid of the middlemen. They just do it uh, at a different level of uh, dramaticity attached to it. Fascinating. That was that was brilliant, Francesco. I think that's a really interesting um, and completely novel to this podcast um, use case of alternative data, and we've touched on a on a whole world besides. So um, so wonderful. Um, thanks so much for um, for for coming today and um, and for for telling us about Fasnara. And um, and yeah, best of luck. I hope I hope that vision you just laid out um, arrives soon. <laughs> Thank you, Mark. Thanks a lot for having me in.